This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everyone and welcome to this very special episode of Every Step Along The Way. Now, we've been doing this podcast now for two years, which absolutely amazes me. I, I can't believe how f- quick it's gone. Me and Mike, we've had such a great time doing this, but we've met some amazing guests, uh, we've had some great times, and we thought that the close season now would be a great opportunity just to look back on the last two years. Um, so we've got some great guests coming up now on here, they're going to pick out our favourite bits. So you're going to hear some this week and then next week's podcast will be part two of this and it literally is just going to be our favorite bits um, for the last two years um, so yeah sit back and enjoy so firstly we're going to kick off with a, a podcast we did the very first guest we had was liam bullock and uh, when we did a podcast titled the icelandic years so let's go from there just epitomized um the the icelandic era and my dad even now mentions them when we're talking about you know defense sergi stanyuk and peter Handyside. i mean I don't know about you guys, right? But for me, that's one of the all-time partnerships at the back. Anyone who remembers them, sure, wouldn't really um, call me out too much to say that they're on, on par with the prime Shawcross and Hooth uh, combination. I mean, I, I just remember that, that nobody got past them. Obviously, promotion season, just absolutely brilliant. And I think, personally, Sergi was far, far too good for us. Uh, I know he was touted to go to the Premier League, and I'm pretty confident that he had a... I think some personal bereavement or, or something um, back home. So in the end, he had to go back. But um, for me, he really was the the, the Ryan Shawcross of, of the modern era, if you like. So um, how, how well do you remember those two? Well, I remember them like you remember them. Stanuk came in as like a brick wall, wasn't he? he looked like even Drago from Rocky Four, And yeah, he had... <laughs> He had a bit of everything again, but he was just this giant centre-half that I, th- I also thought he could have gone right to the top and been a Premier League player. And he's another one that when Tony Pulis first came in, he was he said, we need to get this guy under a long-term contract. And, you know, if anyone knows a centre-half, it's it's Tony Pulis. Um, Peter Handyside was the captain, and he was kind of like one of those defenders that went unnoticed a lot of the time because I think he was very... He was very good positionally. He never seemed to get caught out. He was always in the right place. Um, so they, they had a really good like thing going together where one would just go about his business quietly while the other would sort of destroy people in his path and win, you know, 
run through brick walls and yeah they they kind of had that sort of shore cross and hoof or um, you know hopefully Harry Sutar and any of the centre halves we decide to put alongside him going forward. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And Dan, what was your kind of memories of Sergi, mate? And Handyside, obviously. Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, it was more Sergi than Handyside for me because obviously, like you say, Handyside just went a bit under the radar, didn't he? And he was more, I say, um, like Sergi take all the plaudits kind of thing. And but I just remember, like I say, Stani, who was a bit Ivan Drago. That's like a perfect, <laughs> perfect um, way to describe him. And it's like you, you think of like the people who come after like Shawcross Hooth, they just latter days Sergei Stanics for me. He was like the the original like towering centre half for me to watching Stoke. And like I say, there's he definitely should have been playing at a higher level. How we managed to get him and, and keep him playing in that in that division, and then obviously keep us playing with us in the division above. He never went on to the Premier League. That's a real shame for him, really personally. Um, would have been nice to see if he could have got obviously got how we would have fared in there. Obviously, I probably wouldn't have been able to get there with Stoke unless we'd uh, rapidly improved if he'd have stayed. But it would have been uh, he was definitely good enough for me to play top flight football. Reminds me a bit of uh, Peter Hoekstra, who uh, should definitely have been playing at a higher level. And I think if it wasn't for his prior injuries, um, he he would definitely have been at a higher level than Stoke. But, um, I mean, I think we all remember Peter Hoekstra. It's, uh, again, I think only after him, you'd probably say Matty Etherington is probably the, the main kind of highlight down that left wing for me personally. But uh, Hoekstra was a hell of a player, wasn't he, Liam? Yeah, and I think... Um... That's that both Stanuk and Hookshree, you gotta give a lot of credit to John Rudge and working with with Gudjan Thordarson to to scour the globe for these, you know, either unknown quantities from 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 Belarus or these former Dutch internationals that are gonna willing to come and play in, in the third tier of English football. Yeah, Peter Hookstra was just I've never seen players do what he could do with a ball at his feet. You know, he, he didn't have any pace. So the fact that he was just able to take on players and and make space for himself and, and do wonderful things was just credit to him. And um, if again, yeah, if he could stay fit. But then if he could stay fit, there's probably no chance he would have been at a club like us at that time. We were very lucky to have him. And he, yeah, just, just ask Reading about him. <laughs> I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> Oh, the hat trick uh, with the absolutely pile driver from, well, way out, wasn't it? I mean, everyone expects him to cross the ball and he, he just somehow smashes it at 300 mile an hour off the top of the crossbar. I mean, you yeah, can't. I think, was, I think it was from somewhere near the petrol station in Blurton. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Was it, was it the second? I can't remember now. Was that the second goal? Because I seem to remember him um, just having a penalty and chipping it down the middle. I swear the, the penalty that was, was a hat trick. Yeah, yeah that, that I mean, there's some balls for that. Yeah, there's only one man on that pitch that was doing that, and that was Peter Hoekstra. Absolutely. And um, any other players that you, want to, you guys want to call out before we move on? Hey, I remember Baker Christensen, a goalkeeper around this time. And I swear, wasn't he like an accountant by trade who also was like a part-time goalkeeper but ended up playing like half a season for us in Division 2? Yeah, that's right. He was, um, and he like a lot of them, he was some kind of distant cousin or close cousin or something to, <laughs> to one of the, the main chair people as well. So he came in and 
he was a character he was he'd like throw his arms up to the boom and end and beat his chest and um you know he was quite steady but he was he was capable of the odd howler as well and yeah he was okay he probably he was probably one of these like 200 like small investors that were on board <laughs> as well and um i think he got arrested eventually and in prison for some kind of dodgy financial dealings and you know it's just another in a long line of tales for these these people that came and went for Stoke at that time. Yeah. I'd also like, yeah, I'd throw in Bjarni Good Johnson for a special mention, the man at Ford Arson's son, because he, he was much maligned by some fans. You know, as we, we tend to do that with some some of our players that the, the more creative wingers, let's say, or the ones that are perceived as being lazy or not tracking back and stuff. And I always I always liked Bjarni myself. He always always first out to warm up and he, he was brilliant in both the, the the auto windscreens final and in the um, playoffs final and semi-finals, and um, he overcame a lot of a lot of stick from 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 our own fans as well as the occasional um, away fans. You know, the Vale fans gave him a lot of stick when they came down here as well. And uh, he wasn't always the best. He was a, he was quite a limited player, I guess. But he always gave it all. The one and only Yuan Boskamp. Um... Whose entire mantra, from what I recall, was if you score three, we'll score four. Um, he didn't know how to defend, he just knew how to try and score as many goals as he could. Um, and uh, Liam, I'm, I'm sure you got a lot of kind of research again in the book for this one, but I seem to, to kind of, you know, again, re- remember that there was a big fallout um, between him. Rog and was it Yankona? I can't remember who it was now, but either way, yeah, the, I think we were having a, a really bad game. Uh, their right back was basically tearing it down the flank without anyone really ever closing him down. And I think Rog, from what I recall, literally lost his, not lost his wick, he kept cool, but um, he basically ran down to the, the bench, tried to tell somebody on the bench, I think, to, to come make a decision, get get somebody to cover him. And from what I understand, Boskamp really didn't like it. And it all kind of, kicked off against Coventry and then effectively there was an ultimatum to either, you know, Luke Rudge and Jan Koenig, uh, go or I go. Um, yeah. And I think at the end of the season, uh, Boskamp went anyway, from what I remember. So that was probably one of the most insane things I, I seem to remember um, in that six years. Yeah. And I think, I think the problem with the you score three and we score four philosophy was that they scored free and we just didn't score um but uh yeah Coventry away another game I went with my brother where um we won in the end Jerry Taggart and um Paul Gallagher scored and yeah the story goes that Rudgy who who up to that point had a really good relationship with Boscamp had helped him out a lot adapting to English football came down from from the director's box to pass a note saying yeah we need to switch the wingers we're getting overrun on one side so Boskamp was preoccupied on the touchline, so he, he spoke with Jan de Koning, who, rather than pass the information on to Boskamp, went straight to the touchline and, and relayed the information to the team, which Boskamp obviously... So I think Ed de Hoy grasped him up, um, mm-hmm. grasped John Rudge up, and that that basically meant it, it felt to Boskamp like he'd been undermined, that he'd lost the respect of his players if something like that's happening and it was a they go or I go. And at the time, we as fans probably sided with Boskamp because we were doing all right then. Things hadn't gone catastrophically wrong just yet. Um, you know, there was still a bit of weird feeling towards John Rudge after he, he'd not taken the job a couple of times when, when we'd called for him and, you know, he'll always be... John Roger Vale to some as well. 
Um, but things just went wrong after that. And um, I mean, it's a minor miracle that with Bangura disappearing for months on end as well, that we didn't get dragged into a relegation battle in a way. Um, and for Jan de Koning, who was Johan Boskamp's best friend, he was actually offered the job as manager. Um, it was, this is another one of those funny little details that Ida Goodjohnson's dad had recommended Jan de Koning to be the new Stoke manager to the board. Um, and Jan de Koning said, oh, let's give it to my friend Johan Boskamp um, instead and I'll be oh, his God, assistant. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, it ended up with de Koning and Rudge on gardening leave. Rudge, um, Boskamp was working with um, Noel Blake, I think it was, and, and someone else from the academy and maybe Dan remembers. But um, it just all kind of, the home form just was terrible. We were winning some decent away games. I remember winning at Luton and Brighton and Ipswich, but we were just losing home game after home game. And yeah, at the end of the season, he walked and, um, and so did the board eventually as well. What an exciting time that was in the club's history. Never a dull moment in those seven years under Icelandic ownership. Taiwan has not been dull recently as well as Hanley Town. And in January of 2022, I went down to watch a game at Hanley and caught up with then-manager Carl Dickinson, obviously a former Stoke player, and also spoke to the chairman there, Ron McElreevy. I became chairman of Hanley Town in June of 2020. It all came about by chance, really. In my role with Men Unite, we were seeking a Sunday league pitch and I was told there was a potential of Hanley Town becoming available. So I went down there and chatted to the existing shareholders at Hanley and I was informed they couldn't make a decision until they until they appointed a chairman. And I said, yep, no problem, shook hands with them, and I walked away on that day. Then I went home, and I had a niggling feeling in, in the, at the back of my mind, thinking, I could do that. I think I'd be very good at that. So I arranged a meeting with the shareholders at Hanley, told them my web proposal and they accepted it and I became chairman in June of 2020. Since then, Hanley Town and men, men were united, formed a great link uh, and we have now got a full-time men's mental health hub open at Hanley Town Football Club. It's accessible between 8am and 4pm every day and if people want to get to pop down and have a chat or or just have a coffee or just have an escape for 30 minutes from from where the outside world then we are here and that's what we're here to do i think football men's mental health is a perfect partnership i first approached carl at the back end of last season and obviously Carl didn't know much about Hanley Town he thought I was joking but I kept on and kept on at him and he kindly decided to come down and have a meeting once we had a face to face and he knew I was serious and you know where we were serious in what in what we wanted to do I actually think it was a no brainer 
for Carl. Very easy uh, decision. He's a family man, so we're going to give him, you know, with the opportunity to come home. He spends good quite a few years on on the road, so we're to come home and be with his wife and family who I have to say are absolutely fantastic people as well you know and they've bought into the football club so that's really really nice to see and that's exactly what we are a nice friendly family football club and with Carl's contacts in the professional game we've been lucky enough to get the likes of Dave where Kevin on board who I have to say is a very very integral part of what we're doing here and I think Carl will admit himself he's learning quite a lot from Dave and then thank you know we're thanks to Carl and nobody else really you know we were able to bring in the likes of Chris Dagnall through through with their experiences at Yeovil, the likes of Louis Dodds, you know, when Carl was captain at Port Vale, we had Danny Pugh and Ryan Shotton, who were obviously at Stoke. So, yeah, look, Carl is massive for this football club and it's put us on, onto the footballing map and, you know, we've had our best ever run in this season's FA Cup and we actually got live... TV game, so yeah, things are going great, and you know, a full credit to Carl and his staff. You know, we're really up for that. I can give him all the tools, all of the finances he wants, but as we know in football, it's not all about spending; it's how you spend it, and he has spent it very, very wisely. To people who are struggling in the Stoke-on-Trent and wider local area and they feel they have nowhere to turn, I am here today to tell them that they do. Come to Hanley Town. We are here 8 to 4 p.m. every day. Come and pop in, and if you just want to have a chat, someone to listen to you, somewhere get to moan, just come and get away from the world for 30 minutes, then we'll come down and do so. You don't need a referral from a doctor. Just just come down, walk in and see us, and we will be there, and we will try our best to help you as much as we can. We're all in this together, and together we are stronger, and we will get through this. Moving now, moving on to your time at Stoke. Uh, obviously, I remember watching you. I used to go down, watch the under 18s, watching you play on the left of a midfield three for Noel Blake. Yep. <laughs> and then, obviously, as with a lot of players, I know uh, Ryan Shotton, for example, who was placed and never left the header at Central for three years, did yeah. and then never played for the first team. How was it making that sort of being put into the first team for that position, then having to sort of Obviously, I know you did play left back for the youth team, but yeah. sort of then moving to another position. Um, I, I, I loved playing in that midfield three on the Blakey. He was he was fantastic with me, and I did get moved into the first team playing in midfield. But um, I think Pulis uh, just thought, nah, he's a, he's a defender. And <laughs> it was it was just an easy transition because, like I said, I played there a hell of a lot before, so. Wherever he needed me to play, I was willing to put the work in to make sure I pleased him to 
to being in and around the first team. Yeah, he's definitely one of the managers you sort of run through a brick wall for, isn't he? Yeah, he just he just trusted you as long as you you put the work in and um, you were willing to fight. He'd look after you, and you know he was he was different class with me from the minute I stepped into the first team training room to the minute I left the football club, and even after when he used to let me come back and train. Um, like I say, I uh, it's one of the most boring games in this one. Yeah. But uh, I remember I remember Nashi pulling off a, an amazing save from me and Hume. Um, but other than that, I don't think much happened at all in the yeah. game. Uh, it was really scrappy. Because uh, obviously they, they were yeah. fighting for their lives yeah. as well. Um, but no, it's the best day I've had in football mm. by far. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's, there's some sort of iconic photographs. I think we put one on our Twitter feed to advertise for this. Um, I'll be just celebrating and obviously there's the one where you stood there and everyone's running at you. That's my favourite photo I've had. Yeah. That's, if somebody can get all that and put it on a big thing for me, I need it. So, um, <laughs> no, like I say, that was, um, that's the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind. Um, yeah, it was a fantastic day for, for me and my family. Um, I'd obviously had bad news during that season, losing my dad and, and everything. So it was just the biggest sense of relief and emotion come out and... Uh, wonderful there, catching up with Ron and Dicko. Well, cast your mind back a couple of Christmases, and on Twitter we run polls every day through December trying to determine what our team of the century was. So, yeah, Stoke team from 2000 to the modern day. Um, it was quite hotly contested a couple of positions, and you'll now hear the, the chat for right back and also centre midfield. So, the final four for right back. I'll give you so Phil Bardsley got six percent of the vote. Andy Griffin got nine percent of the vote. Carl Hoskins was in second with nineteen percent. And the winner, of course, Andy Wilkinson, sixty-six percent. Runaway winner for right back. So he slots in there. So did you see much of Wilco then, Andy? Like Sorensen, he was sort of towards when I started watching, but when I did watch he could pretty much back pocket any player he had on him I remember I went one of my first games was watching Man United against Stoke and even Ronaldo couldn't really get past him he, I, he, I think he clobbered him once or twice with a tackle but he would still yeah, he, he could pocket like, anyone he like to leave his mark no, he did <laughs> seem to remember a tackle I, I could be wrong I'm pretty sure it was Wilco uh, did we play Leicester and it was towards the booth and end and he absolutely cleaned somebody out did he I swear he put him into the into the the, the, the railings or sort of something like that <laughs> I can't remember who it was the River Trent <laughs> yeah absolutely cleaned him out uh, the ball had gone and he just sent him flying it's like Madison or some, something for, for Leicester um, but yeah, Wilco, I must admit, it was a very engineered um, goal for Wilco and his testimonial, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, it, uh, the keeper was obviously Nash, I think it was, in goal. He's walked up to him and he's clearly said, I'm going to put it to your right. And in fairness <laughs> to Nash, he does dive correctly. He didn't dive the opposite way. But um, yeah, I think everyone knew how that was going to go. But did anyone go to that? I mean, I was, I can't remember where I was, but I, I didn't go. But did anyone else go to the, the testimonial? Ben, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there. I wasn't on the pitch as most people were who were there because I was in the uh, the the upper tier of the Q railing stand. So unless I decided to dive off the balcony, I wasn't going to join them, unfortunately. Um, I did get a good video though of everybody diving on the pitch. So that's that's half an effort, I suppose. I'm pretty sure. I think I said this in my podcast once. I'm I'm ninety percent sure that 
it was Tyrese Campbell who either won the penalty or gave the penalty away. One of the two, I'm sure he gave it away. Um, and I seem to be thinking, remember that name at, at the time. I might be chatting crap. I might have had too much mulled wine, but um, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Um, and you were talking about uh, him cleaning people out as well. I remember him being cleaned out by, I want to say, Gardner for Birmingham or something like that. He got cleaned out. Just like it could have been a red card quite easily, but Wilco just got up and shook his hand and got on with it. And yeah. that's exactly the type of character he was. He was a great footballer, loved Stoke, and I think that alone, forget his ability, that that alone, I think would set him so highly in Stoke fans' expectations that no wonder he's a runaway. Do you think those days? Yeah, are gone? I think. Do you think we actually breed players like that anymore, or the old pre-war? rolling all over the floor I think it's probably the latter personally I, th- I think they're out there um, they are fewer and far between but you know there's there's play for Stoke that gets stuck in um, not, not not perhaps as much these days I, I think players are a lot more concerned about injuries really and and we know how refereeing is going as well I think they're letting <laughs> a little bit more back this season but I mean Phil Barsley loved to tackle <laughs> like it, yeah. you know he wasn't shy of that we saw some absolute stinkers from from players in Stoke he loved shirts. He Rooney as well, didn't he? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I, I remember that year, that tackle Bardsley did on Hazard <laughs> in front of the Peters. Yes. yes. I remember that one. Fine. But, uh, that Ram Juve didn't make this poll either. <laughs> <laughs> Ram Juve, I think he got gallantly out in the second round, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but I think the thing with Wilco as well, a lot of football hard men, when they actually, they're all right sort of giving it out, but if somebody does it on them, then, you know, they're all kicking off and that. And that's what you say about Wilco there. He got up, shook his hand, because he's like, yeah, you know, I'll give it out, I'll take it. That, that's what he, that's how he wanted the game to be played. And, and like I say, that's a credit to the man that that's how he was. What? I mean... <laughs> Oh, sorry, sorry, Dan. I was going to say, what, what did you think of Carl Hopkins? I remember, I remember he was he was always an attacking. He probably would have been quite good in our current system, in fairness. Um, but I, I seen, I've got vague memories of him. I remember being asked to interview him once for for something. I, I don't, I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been when I was part of Not FM, and um, I remember he had a big fallout with Pulis behind the scenes, from what I remember. I can't, I can't remember what it was though. I swear he went up town or something stupid like that. It but wasn't Pulis's type of defender. <laughs> no, he was too flash, wasn't he? But um, I seem to remember him being a relatively decent rap. I'm surprised he even made the the final four, mate. If I'm honest with you, I mean, I don't I didn't think he was that good. Oh, I don't know. I've he had a good. I think um, the fact that he was clearly Boscamp's best signing, I think, helps. He kind of, you know. You know, a dwarf among midgets, perhaps, but he was certainly, uh, you know, a really good. Um, I think he started at centre half, and um, he did. Yeah, they quickly realised that that this, you know, championship football, you need you need a certain type of centre half that he wasn't, and he he got shifted to right back, and um, he he did a good job. I liked him, and um, we, there was a lot of. Um, bad feeling when he left it was sort of the second spell of Pulis before things got good and there was a feeling that we were moving towards a certain style of football that we'd been with in the previous Pulis regime the, the, the binary years essentially and 
Hopkins getting sort of phased out and not played and, and even when we weren't playing very well wasn't getting a look in we've seen it with other players of similar ilk to him and I remember there was a meet the manager evening at um, Delilah's bar and the first five questions were about Carl Hopkins to Tony Pulis and uh, you know he, he obviously batted them off very well like he does but there was a kind of a feeling that you know you're picking on this guy because he's the foreign flash player whereas you know we like him and we want to see that kind of football with Stoke and um, so he kind of left with probably a reputation that was enhanced than you know beyond his own ability in a way it was funny you used to say that you know when you said about the flashness um, reminds me of Tonshai he could have been great couldn't he and he just clearly was not a Tony Pulis player um, that, I remember that caught in against Man United and bent it into the top corner. He was capable of things like that. But yeah, unless you were a bit of a bruiser, if you were a flash player, you didn't get a team. Bojan would have never played for Tony Pulis, ever. <laughs> what you talk about cuttings, I remember Carl Hoffkins when he first signed, doing quite a few drag backs at centre-half. <laughs> Cruyff turns. Oh uh, God, yes. Get- Thinking, oh, this is a bit different. <laughs> this isn't uh, Michael Dubry and uh, Clint Hill. What's going on? Uh, but yeah, he was. I say he was quickly put out to right back. I think, I think he. I think he stayed season at centre half, didn't he, with Boskamp, who preferred Louis Buxton at right back <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's move on from that one. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, he, like I say, once he got out to right back, I thought he did well. Um, I think he was a fan's favourite because he was just something different once. He was a bit of flair. And like you say, he was probably Boscombe's best signing, like Liam said there. Uh, I take it you never really saw Hopkins play then, Andy, as well before your time. Never really even heard of the name, so... Go, watch, go get the clips. I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, I think 66%, and I think we're all in agreement, aren't we? Yeah. Andy Wilkinson. Good choice at the right back. Let's move then swiftly into centre midfield. So again, we've got we've got to the final four. Joint third place with Rory Delap and Nick Powell with ten percent, and then Glenn Whelan twenty four percent, and the our own little Vavavoom Stephen and Zonzi fifty six percent of the vote. Now for me, I I loved Stephen and Zonzi and. It's funny because, again, it comes back to people sort of not knowing what you've got until it's gone. And there's a lot of Stoke fans who used to criticise him. He was too slow. He didn't run around. There was no effort. And then when he left, he just saw a massive hole of this calmness and just it just on, you know, on the ball how he could just turn attack, turn defence into attack. And he, he just never rushed in anything he did. He knew exactly what he was going to do, and he, nine times out of ten, he carried it out. I think um, the problem with Nzonzi, Dan, was that he put a transfer request in every season, and I think that <laughs> clouded people's judgments of Nzonzi. I think that's probably what it was half the time, mate, to be honest. But I, I agree with you. It's, it's the same argument with Glenn Whelan. Like as soon as like Hughes came in, obviously had a good good couple of years, and then he got rid of the Tony Pulis spine, um, and all of a sudden, again, wheels came off. But Glenn Whelan was just exactly that, wasn't he? He was a no nonsense midfielder. You could you basically wouldn't see him during the match, but if you went back and reviewed it, he would be bossing that midfield in front of the defence. So there's um, yeah, you spot on, mate. People probably didn't appreciate him as much as they should have done, and I'll put my my hat into that ring. I wasn't bothered when it, when he went, and I was wrong. But you know, again, I think it sounds like I'm one of many. 
Yeah, you've only got to look at what he did after he left Stoke as well, haven't you? With mm-hmm. you know Sevilla, Roma, and obviously not as much like Galatasaray and that. But I'd take him back in this midfield now that we we could do with the numbers. I mean, what did you think of him, Ben? Was he? Were you? Uh, did you appreciate him while he was here? Or? There's the. I could just give a two-word analysis and leave it at that. Rolls Royce. Yeah, I think yeah. Like if if you if you were to, you know, give him any tag, it's that he he was just the best all-round midfielder you could argue we've had in about fifty years or so. He's just sensational at pretty much everything. Good in the tackle, albeit maybe some people would label him as a bit lazy. I just think he was uh, efficient. I think is the word he probably would have chosen to have used. He he wasn't the quickest, um, but his his range of passing was excellent. Um, his his ironically on the ball, he he was so patient off off the ball. Less so, he had a bit of a temper on him. Um, and what a shot he had as well he scored a couple of good goals that goal against Liverpool um, in the 6-1 was an absolute firecracker um, oh yeah and it it just shows how much of a good player he was and you wonder as we signed Jiren Shaqiri in the summer if we'd have had the BMX up front and Steven and Zonzi we'd have probably got a Europa League spot I, I always thought at the time when they sold him to Sevilla for was it 7 million I did think would you not just maybe keep hold of him and let him go for a free in 12 months just do that because if you if we'd have kept him like you say if we'd have hit the Europa League possibly it depends how quickly Shakiri would have settled even higher you don't you know then he, he could turn around and say I want to stay <laughs> you would have done 100% yeah because I mean, that he, final yeah. season that final season that he, he was playing for us was I think the best he's played you know I think he was just like Ben said he he just had his game down to a tee at that point he, he was always in the right position his tackling was spot on he could just walk through the middle of the pitch he had a great shot on him and the guy went on to be part of the World Cup final and you know he's got a World Cup medal <laughs> how many Stoke City players have um, you know in recent times I don't think there's any since 60s 70s whatever is the you know there's he was special and um, yeah there was there's always people that didn't appreciate him but well what can you do he, he was brilliant I <laughs> Andy did you see uh, was Enzonzi in your in your time yeah I think I voted for Enzonzi in the actual poll um, like Ben mentioned that cracker he scored against Liverpool in the 6-1 I want to take a hot take here and say that Glenn Whelan was sort of the totally Pulis version of Romain Sawyers and Enzonzi was the Mark Hughes version of him. Very calm on the ball. People say he's lazy. When he wants to turn defence into attack and not on his day and when he wants to spark, he can do it. And even Romain Sawyers has a good shot on him. Yeah, I can see I can see the um the links between the two, like so, is in the same style of play. Or they can let the ball sort of roll, you know, sort of open the body up and let the ball roll yeah. past to you know, to go past people and that. And I think you remember this story mentioning with like Zonzi's tackling and that he seemed to have like telescopic legs, didn't they? They just seemed yeah. to he'd sort of go for the ball, and if he wasn't quite there, he'd sort of just grow a few inches to just oh yeah, <laughs> just nicked it away. But again, he again, he, a lot of the time he wouldn't. He wouldn't sort of nick it. He'd sort of get the ball and bring it back into himself as well. 
it wasn't as if he was like sliding in and the ball was going out. He'd like win the ball and keep it at his own feet, which again is another sort of you know another accident completely. Um, but yeah, Glenn Whelan, just like a water carrier, and he just he mops up everything else and lets. Like I'll I'll do all the hard work and the dirty work, and just give it to the people who can play. No offense, Glenn. But <laughs> <laughs> um, again, Glenn Whelan gave me one of my one of the best uh, mentals in recent times, didn't he? At Aston Villa, yeah, sure cross, and it was at the eighty seventh, eighty eighth minute, and then last minute equaliser. I mean that that sort of that point just seemed to turn. It seemed like the belief that we'd gone because Aston Villa were like top four at the time, and we'd sort of been outplayed for like eighty minutes. So it sat there anyway, like yeah, this is just another team who were just a bit too good for us on their own patch at the minute. And then all of a sudden it was like bang bang, and that that seemed to give them the that seemed to sort of charge them the rest of the season of racking up these wins that eventually sort of pulled us well away from the bottom three and into comfortable mid table by the time make around. Alright, so we're all happy then. We're happy with Wheel and we're happy with Inzonzi. Good choices. Yep. I'm just well, glad Bojan's not in there, mate, that's all. He's not centre mid. This is a long running joke, by the way, so just, just <laughs> don't worry. Paul Rory only getting 10%, but I'm sure those uh, we'll bring him on for the throw-ins, like NFL style. <laughs> he was more than a throw-in, but we'll move on. <laughs> Also at Christmas, we heard Mike tell us about how he made Lee Blakeman lost for words on one Radio Stoke programme. You also hear a podcast debut that was perfectly timed, and also the culmination of the big Christmas quiz. Uh, most regressed, and I've mentioned it before, uh, James Chester. Uh, again, I never had anything against the guy. I think, you know, he's clearly doing something right in training. Either way, because he wouldn't be playing. I, I joked on Radio Stoke and I, um, when uh, Lee, Lee Blakeman was on there, and you can see what Lee says, and I knew it was going to get a bit of a raised eye. But I said, I, I must admit, I think uh, he must have some dodgy pictures of O'Neill uh, shoved somewhere. And I just saw, <laughs> I saw his him uh, laugh, and oh, you know, obviously he can't say anything. But um, yeah, it, how that guy got ahead of Danny Bart, I, I'll never know. Um, but he has really regressed for me. He struggles to pass. He struggles to defend. He should not be anywhere near this team ever again. And, you know, I appreciate he's a professional. He's probably 10 times the player that I could ever be. So round two is who am I? Five point... <laughs> I'm like a dog. <laughs> it's a dog. That's one point. The golden retriever. <laughs> 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 oh mate, you could not have timed that any better. That has stayed in this pod. Do not dare edit that out. <laughs> Here we go. Ninety seconds. Starts now. Who Stokes is top scorer of all time? Uh, uh enough. John Ritchie. Yep. Ritchie, Ritchie, Ritchie. Who scored Stokes' last goal in the Premier League? A two-one away when at Swansea. Uh, Shakiri. Uh, no. Island. Uh, no. Crouch. Yeah. Who scored the other goal that day? Shakiri. No. Um, defender. Uh, Huth. No, he's, no. he's gone. Shawcross. Um, Allen. No. Crouch. No. 
Maybe if I crash. Wolf's gone. Oh, pass. Pass. pass it. Yeah. Pass it with Badu and Die. Who's the top scorer for Stoke after the current squad? Uh, Nick Powell. Yeah. Who scored our first European goal in nearly 40 years against Hadjik Splits? Walter. 2011. Yeah. Who scored the last goal of that Europa League campaign? Uh, Diego Rosario. Nope. Uh, Palacios. It was away at Besiktas. Besiktas. Um, oh, balls. 20 seconds Pass. to go. Pass. Skip, skip. Pass. Who was the club's first £1 million signing? Shawcross. Yep. Who's, uh, the transfer record was broken two weeks later by... Mbula? Glenn Whelan. Absolutely fine, yeah. Matthew Evington. Nope. Who's the, the club's most cap player? Brian Shawcross. Eric Scales. No. no. So, uh, sorry, I meant international caps there. I'll be like, like most international oh. capped player. You've run out of time Matthews. anyway. By the time I'd asked, I'd asked it, it was your time was up. It was Glenn Whelan for the Irish. Um. You scored five points there. Mm, I don't we'll think be do we so, do we have a tiebreaker done? In ooh, eventuality? I haven't got one, but I'm sure Super I can over. rummage one up quick. <laughs> I've got question. I have got questions uh, here that I've, that weren't used then, like one there. So five so, runs needed, is it? Yeah. So <laughs> Liam and Andy, you need five for the win, four for the tie. Five from ten balls. <laughs> so your ninety seconds starts now. Mark Hughes' last league game in charge of Stoke was a one 0 defeat to. Southampton. Coventry. No. no. Elite last league game. Oh, league. Someone Palace. No. Pass. Pass. New, it, Stoke's all-time top appearance maker. Stoke's heels. Yep. Who scored the goals in the club's 5-0 victory over Bolton at Wembley? Um, Kenwin Jones, Why? Robert Hoof, um, Matty Averington, um, John Walters. Yep. Who is the club's highest sale? Nathan um, Collins to Burnley. Most high sale. Uh, Arnautovic? Yeah. Who was the previous high, high sale before Arnautovic? Nzonzi? Nope. Uh, pass up. Pass. Okay. It was Begovic. Who did Michael Owen score as one Stoke goal against? Swansea? Yep. Name a South American who's played for Stoke. Diego Arismendi? Yeah. What motto was on the club's former crest before it was replaced in 2000? This unit of 40 Okay. And what does that translate into English? United as? strength is stronger. And name four sides we faced in our Europa League run. Besiktas. Ajax Split, Besiktas, Valencia, Valencia. And FC Thun. Happy day. Well done. So with eight seconds to go. Ooh. You scored eight points. So you've won that 26 to 22. Well done. Uh, so well played, Andy. Well done. Cheers. At least I won a quiz on this. <laughs> uh, Mark Hughes' last league game was against Newcastle by the way uh, was it no uh, he's when he rested off the team against Chelsea three days before and then lost to Newcastle anyway oh what a great time we had that Christmas uh, special anyway moving on and when we wanted to know how FFP worked we decided we'd go out there, shoot high and aim for the best person in the business to tell us. So we did, and we got them. The price of football's very own Kieran Maguire came onto this very podcast to explain how its profit and sustainability works in football. 
So, welcome to Every Step Along the Way, Kieran Maguire. Thank you very much, boys. Uh, I, I like an oat cake, so look at this. This should be good fun. Oh, yes. You can't go wrong with an oat cake. What's, what's your topping before we go further? Me? I'd, I'd go for a bit of bacon. Cheese as well. you got to go for cheese. Yeah, bacon and cheese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Brown sauce? Yeah. Oh, no, red. Oh, red. Yeah, sorry, lads. Sorry, lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get airs and graces, mate. Although I did... I did uh, when I used to do the insolvency work. I did actually run one of the potteries companies about thirty years ago, which went bust. So every day was was oatcake day for me, uh, for, for <laughs> all, all during the period of the uh, the administration. Financial fair play. It's, it's yeah. a really tough subject. A lot of people seem to think they know how it works because you see bits, you see bits here and there, but the wider picture of how it all works, what can be inputted, what can clubs lose, what's counted, what's not. Is there a way of simplifying it to make it easy to understand? Okay, well, I'll 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 do my best. Um, under the, it's now called profitability and sustainability, which which is ironic because none of the clubs make a profit and most of them aren't sustainable. But they're at the, <laughs> it's, it's now called profitability and sustainability rules. And what it what it says is as follows: You are assessed over a rolling three-year period of time so you, you you're not look we don't look at one year's sets of accounts we look at three years and then that three years moves on uh, all the time so it's a rolling three-year assessment and the way that it works um is that for each year within that three-year period in each year in which you have been in the premier league you're allowed uh, an FFP loss of 35 million. And for each year in which you are in the championship, you're allowed to lose 13. So if you've got three years in the Premier League, it's 35 plus 35 plus 35. So that'll be 105 million. If it's three years in the championship, 13 and 13 and 13, you're allowed to use 39. If you get promoted or relegated, so if we take a look at Stokes accounts, uh, I've got Stokes accounts in front of me here. Now, Stokes' most recent accounts are 2020. So that's one year in the Premier League, two years in the Championship. So I've got 35 plus 13 plus 13. Stoke are allowed an FFP loss of £61 million over that three years. So that's that's the first number. That's the headline number. That's what the newspapers will write about. And then they say, well, hold on, we've looked at the accounts. And, and if we do look at the accounts, Stoke have lost £134 million over that three-year period. Why haven't Stoke City been subject to points deductions, squad reductions, wage caps, and so on from the EFL? It's because there are certain things you're allowed to do um, at a football club which are excluded from financial fair play so if you've got uh if you get promoted your promotion bonuses are excluded if you've got infrastructure costs i.e you've invested a lot of money in the academy in the stadium those costs are excluded um if you've got uh, an academy your academy costs are excluded have, have stoke got a cat one academy i think they have uh, yes you have yeah yeah so you know a, 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 a cat one academy 
you know, I, I speak to some of the the guys that run these. They are they they are very expensive because there's a lot of quality control, and to get category one is is hard work, and to keep it is hard work as well. So you're probably talking at least five or a minimum of five or six million a year goes into your academy costs. So you take those out of um, your your calculations. If you've got a women's team, if you've got a community scheme. All of those costs you adjust for as well. So that means that if, if we start off with that figure for Stoke City of 134 million pounds, we can start to take out quite a lot of costs from that in relation to those items that we've seen. Um, and also in respect of Stoke, you know, when when they were relegated, they they did put through some one-off items, which um, you you can then say, well. That's that, that's not a normal part of business, so we'll ignore it. And of course, we've had COVID as well. And what both the Premier League and the EFL have said, if you've lost money due to COVID because you're pay, playing matches behind closed doors, then we will pretend that you did get your gate receipts. If, uh, if you've had additional costs due to COVID, such as you know, you, you've got to have a PCR test two or three times a week. Uh, you might you know, think about when you go to an away match, the, the squad might now travel in two coaches instead of one coach because you want a bit more social distancing, especially if you go back you know, 12 months ago when, when things were, I think it's fair to say things were a lot worse, weren't they, 12, 18 months ago. Um, and also, you know, even simple things, when, when clubs were going away and staying overnight, historically you'd have a twin room and you'd have two lads in 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 the twin rooms uh, but what the clubs were then doing is say we don't want any of the players uh, you know sharing a room together so we'd have to go and book twice the number of rooms you were allowed to claim that as your covid allows so there's there's lots and lots of lots and lots of small print lots and lots of adjustments and i think this is what causes the confusion because people see the numbers and they say well hold on you know, Stoke lost 134 million why haven't we uh, why haven't we had a deduction? Or if you're a fan of an opposing club who have got a beef with Stoke, they'll be saying something along similar lines. So, yeah, I mentioned to you uh, about the uh, about academy costs uh, being um, being excluded. So, what happened uh, at a club? based in the Midlands, I, I don't want to give too many names away, uh, a club based in the Midlands, what, what they did is that they were trying to sign a player. Um, if they paid him what his agent wanted, they would go over the FFP limit. And also um, some of the other players in the squad, they had clauses in their contracts, which says, if somebody comes in on a higher wage than me, then I get an automatic pay rise. So I'm always got to be the highest paid player or equal the equally highest paid player at the club. Um, so they tried to attract the player. The agent said no because he was coming down from the Premier League to the Championship. Um, so they got round it by paying the player's mother seven hundred grand a year to be an academy scout. So it doesn't go through as player wages. It doesn't count for FFP because academy costs are excluded. And the other players in the squad didn't get the pay rise because this lad came in effectively at the same wages as them. So, wow. so this is this is this is thinking, uh, you know, and this is thinking outside the box. And 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 I and I don't want to embarrass the player by naming him, and I don't want to embarrass the player's mother by naming her as well. The player's dad 
is a bloke called Paul Ince. Yeah, I mean, how does play evaluations work as well? Because obviously, we've our chief executive Tony Scholes is a, an accountant by trade, so I think yeah. he's, a, he's probably the best man to to have in <laughs> have in charge. Uh, or what you know, some fans may think, but he's probably been, like, say, a good uh, man at the helm for this. He's obviously left this week and sort of reiterated what him and the coach family have said of they're not happy with how FFP works or, you know, and they're not happy with how the rules are and he limits spending, limits growth. Um, but we'll sort of touch on that later on. He's always said, like, that they were sending players out on loan rather than selling them because it helped with the valuations of how they came down. Yeah. Because they couldn't actually sell them for any money because nobody would touch them on the wages they were on and everything else. How is it better? How can it be considered better for a club to carry on playing players, players' wages to let them go on a free in three years' time than it is to get them off the books? How, okay. How <laughs> right. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, is, uh, is it, was, it, was it Vimmer? Was the... Yeah, he was one of them. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, 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 let's say he, you, let's say that you signed him for twenty-four million pounds on a four-year contract. Okay, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. Yeah. So, if you sign him for twenty-four million pounds on a four-year contract, the way that he would be accounted for in the accounts, in in as far as your costs are concerned, they take that twenty-four million. They say, well, it's four. It's a four-year contract. So we're going to we're going to say that he's costing the club six million a year. And that's the cost, that's the transfer cost that goes in to your profit and loss account. That what That's what goes in uh, for FFP purposes. Now, let's say that, that after a year, uh, you realise he's crap. Uh, I didn't say that long. So after a year, you, you decided he's crap. Well, what will happen is that in the accounts, his value falls by six million a year. So after one year, you've got 24, take away six. His value is 18 million in your accounts. And you've got a choice of doing two things. A, you can sell him, but everybody else knows he's crap as well. So if you sell him, you're only going to get, say, four million for him. So what you'd have to do is to say, well, his value in the accounts is 18 million. We can only sell him for four. So we're going to lose 14 million quid which goes into our FFP calculation if we flog him in year two. The alternative is to put him out on loan. You might get you might get a half million pound loan fee. You might get somebody paying, you know, thirty or forty percent of his wages. So therefore, you're getting a bit of money coming in, um, and the the cost to Stoke would be another six million quid in year two, because it, we're taking his 24 over four years, plus your net wage cost, which after paying the, after taking into account the loan fee and the, uh, you know, and the, and the contribution from the buying club, you're, you're probably talking hundreds of thousands. So instead of having that 14 million pound loss in year two, you're just showing a cost in relation to Wimmer of probably around about 7 million, which is for FFP purposes, helps the club to, to hit that FFP target. In, in relation to Stokes' accounts, how looking at them as you as you are doing, how do you think we are doing with FFP or the profit and sustainability? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Um, I think you were very close to the limit in 2020. Um, you, you know, you had, had, it, had it not been that you'd had one year of being in the Premier League in your calculations, I suspect Stoke would have been fairly close to breaking the limits. But... Um, what I anticipate for 2021 when the results come out is that there will be a substantial reduction in the wage bill. I mean, Stoke were paying £55 million in wages. Uh, you've got some clubs in, in that division in the championship paying five. Fantastic insight there from Kieran Maguire on what was the first of three appearances made on this podcast so far. Another guy who's made a few appearances is Simon Lowe. Now, he's been the author of many Stoke books and he joined us to talk through them and then also about his favourite moments as a Stoke City supporter. Back at those, all those books that you've done, which which do you look at and think, oh, I really enjoyed, you know, enjoyed that one the most, putting that together or... Oh, that's difficult. That's that's like, which is your favourite child? <laughs> we all know that you've got one, but you can't say it out loud. Um, but as no one's listening, um, actually a book that you didn't mention is my, my favourite that I ever did because it was the hardest to do. Um, and that's a book called Potters at War, which is about the periods from 1939 to 1947 um, when Bob Gorey was the manager. Uh, he took us through the Second World War, built a team that had been a great team beforehand. We finished fourth in the first division in 1936. Stan Matthews, Freddie Steele coming through. And then he built this team of um, fantastic young potteries talent. Uh, essentially, nine of them were for the potteries, uh, plus a few others that were sort of filling in as well were from the potteries. And uh, they ended up... Uh, in the 1946-47 season, coming within one game of winning the league title. Had they won at Sheffield United in the last game of the season, they would have won the league title. Unfortunately, they lost, very sadly. It's full of controversy as well. Just before that game, Stan Matthews was sold to Blackpool. Why would you do that? Um, and I was fortunate because I did it about, um, about 16, 17 years ago now. That Some of those players were still alive. So I was able to talk to them and I'd interviewed some of the others that had then died over the previous 10 years for other uh, reasons as well. So, for example, I I made the um, video history of Stoke City in 1997, that was. So we interviewed a lot of the players then, Um, people like John McHugh, Frankie Mountford, um, obviously Stan as well. And um, so I I was able to bring it to life, bring that period to life because it's so... The wartime period and 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 that uh, post just immediate post-war is so alien to anything we've ever experienced. Apart from arguably, the COVID period has been a bit weird and arguably a little bit like that. Um, but uh, it, it's just so different to how football is now. 
um, that I found that absolutely fascinating. And I, and I loved all the little details that I could find out about what, what their lives were like, um, how they had to darn their shirts um, to, uh, to just keep kits on their back, basically, because the club had no money whatsoever. Um, and then how, how often uh, many of them travelled back from their units where they were posted um, back to Stoke just to play football. Um, which was an incredible commitment, really. When um, you compare that attitude to, um, let's just say, some of the players that we've had in the recent past. Um, so I say with the with the book that you've got out, like it came out in the, was it August of last year. It was, yeah, yeah, the minute by minute book. I mean, like I say it's it's a really good little format. Um, it's perfect, really, just to sort of pick up, put down, where you look at it for two minutes, ten minutes, an hour. Um, and so I've like, like I've got I've, my one of my favourite things that I've just I've written down here like it's 22 minutes, and it's like Ricardo Fuller's ripped holes at will in West Brom's defence in a devastating eight minute, eight minute period, scored the first, forced Jonathan Green spot through his own net for the second, and then Fuller sets up John Parking for an eight yard tapping, Stoke City a three 0 up in this final playoff clash and going to win three one. And it's not that just for me. That was one of my all-time favourite Stoke games. Oh, uh, that way, and and, <laughs> <laughs> and just reading that, it just it all floods back. And I think it's a great bit for me because I've I've learned so much from before things that you maybe have heard people talk about and stuff, and then things that people have never mentioned before. And then there's so many things as well, like in the recent era, obviously I started um, sort of going to Stoke like in the mid-90s um, and somehow stayed supporting them during that period. It <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, must be a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but obviously, um, so obviously anything like the last, say, 25 years, 30 years, it's sort of reminiscing for me and just you know bringing th- things back from the, in my memory bank. Um, so I yeah I, I really enjoyed um, like I say looking through and I uh, said so and the format I mean how did you what what made you think of the format as it was oh I have to admit it's not my format it's the the publisher pitch publishing it's their format and there have been books done on uh, other clubs before this and they asked me to uh, create the one for Stoke um, that fits in with the format and it's 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 pretty straightforward it's just telling the story of the club but instead of chronologically. You just say, right, this happened in the first minute. All of this happened in the second minute of whatever game. And I've chosen games from that post-war period. So it goes right back to 1945. The first game is just before VE Day, all the way through to uh, when I was writing it, which was towards the end of last season. So I think the last entry is January or February uh, 2021. Uh, and and everything in between, as you say, there's over 500. Uh, many of them are goals. Uh, there are sendings off, fights, pitch invasions, towel incidents, uh, potamus incidents. You name it. There's everything in there, and that that was one of the joys of just finding random stuff happens to Stoke. Uh, and actually, originally, I'd planned to um, do the whole of the club's history because so much happened before the the, uh, the Second World War. Um, but because of COVID, I, I, because we were locked down, I couldn't get to a library to research anything uh, pre-war. Um, so maybe I'll do the um, the sort of uh, the prequel 
at some point. <laughs> I, was, I was going to say, I mean, how many of those, I mean, there's like there's over 500 sort of facts and, and little quirky uh, bits and bobs in there. I mean, how many of them did you sort of know and how many, how much research did you have to put into it? Yeah, I'd done uh, books, as you say, going back to in, in detail to about 1970. Um, so I had quite a lot of knowledge about various things um, going back to that period. And then I'd done Potters at War. Um, I'd also um, written books with both Dennis Smith and Terry Conroy. So I'd covered the 60s or towards the second half of the 60s quite a bit. And then having made the video history of the club as well, I'd um, you know, covered the whole history. Um, so I knew quite a bit, but there were also things that I knew I needed to know. I needed to get in that I didn't really know in that much detail. Um, and the way the entries are written, it's it's reading as if it's happening rather than in the past tense. It's all in the present tense. Um, so I needed more uh description from um, actual sources. So I went back to the uh, Central Archives, uh, went back to um, anything that was on PAFE News through to um, the BBC, ITV, um, Sky, anything I could find on YouTube at all. Um, I've, I've there's some random VHS footage that someone's put on YouTube of the Lee Dixon overhead kick in the um, uh, the 7-2 thrashing of Leeds, for example, that's uh, not official at all. It's just someone had a camera in the stand and it's on YouTube. Um, it's amazing what you can find when you start uh, searching for things. Uh, and uh, it was then just sort of working out how best to bring them to life. As you say, it's, it's about each one is a moment. So it's about feeling what that moment was. Um, and obviously the, the Arsenal game when we won 2-1 and scored two of the scrappiest horrible goals you've ever seen but my god they were brilliant the, the first one which which rick flicks in at the uh the tunnel end colo torres appealing for offside from a throw on i mean he's lost his senses what is doing? Um, and then the other one say Jana, literally just falls on the ball and puts it through um the keeper's legs uh, and then dives straight to the keeper's legs himself it's unbelievable um, and the one before that was the, the the Spurs game where Gareth Bale gets sent off. The ball gets flown blown off the penalty spot a couple of times before Higgy scores. Rory Delap ends up with the ball in the net with that famous photograph of him clenching the net and screaming at the booth and ends. And then they have a player sent off. And then Aurelia Gomez cries because he just can't <laughs> anymore. And then we hit the the post both posts and then uh, Fuller hits both posts with another penalty and then Rory whacks the bar with the follow-up. I mean, it was just unbelievable action, live on Sky, of course. That Add that to the Arsenal game and people were scared out of their wits to go onto that pitch. It was, it was quite incredible to see. Um, and, of course, by that stage, we were all doing all the flappy hands in the stands and the ooh, every time we had the front <laughs> on and, and all of that, which of course then developed into the Wenger at one point, which um, I, I still love match of the day for featuring that. That really did, uh, that that added to the whole mystique thing because bless him, Arsene couldn't take it either, could he? No, he, he wasn't, um, he, did, he wasn't the best for humour, was he? Especially if he was on the end of it. <laughs> No, I don't think he had any sense of humour in, in that way. 
Now, the last guest that we're going to bring you on this part one is Tyrese Campbell. Yeah, the first footballer, the actual footballer of Stoke City that we are to speak to. Um, and yeah, here are the best bits of our interview with Ty from last year. You've had like five managers in two, two and a half years, something like that, which yeah. obviously is far from ideal for any player of any age, quite frankly. But mm. I mean, for a young player like yourself, trying to obviously nail a first place, well, first team place down, how difficult is it to have five different styles of play while trying to make a name for yourself? It must be quite difficult. Uh, I mean, yeah. It's not it's not easy. But to be honest, I didn't really think of it that way until someone mentioned it to me. It might be my dad. But I just it's it's part and parcel of the game. I guess you're always gonna play for new managers. Obviously it's not ideal that it's been five, but I just believe in my ability and I know that there's not many that can do what I do. Um and I just thought, yeah, I've just gotta stay focused, keep working hard and they'll like me and Thankfully, the majority of them did, in a way. We've got some new signings and you've been doubling up, haven't you, as Agent Ty, as we've seen on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been doing a, my second job, yeah. <laughs> Double dipping. So, what's yeah. the, um, <laughs> so how, how much of a part did you have to play in that? Um, to be honest, not much. Um, Funnily enough, this one was sort of done without my without my um, help. Um, I spoke to him, obviously, previously to him coming, and he texted me and we spoke about it. He said, what's it like? Told him a bit about the club, what the lads like. I said, a great bunch of lads. Like, not, not, no, like, no one that was really, I have to say it without swearing, um, no one with bad energy, you know what I mean? Everyone wants the same thing, yeah. Good, a set of good lads and everyone just, just gets on with each other and then a couple of weeks went by and he just texted me and said I'll see you, see you Thursday so I was like what? and then yeah so yeah because obviously you would have played together at like Shrewsbury wouldn't you when you were out on loan there yeah yeah we was together at Shrewsbury so I, I was um, I was the other Josh in the camp taking it as maybe a bit of competition for your BFF Mr Timon <laughs> is, is he uh, is he giving you daggers across across the, the canteen <laughs> I know, we all, like, in the change room, it, time off sits next to Josh and then Josh is next to me, so we all get on anyway. Josh is a, Josh Ron is a good lad. I mean, if you don't get on with him, you've got something wrong with you. So, um, everyone loves him and I said he's a great addition to the team and he's obviously a good player as well and that's what we want in the, in the building, good players. So, um, just hope that we can all have a good relationship on the pitch and, have some success. Well, like, knowing that straight away you've got 12 months before you can get out and play football again, how do you keep yourself motivated day after day? Um, I'm not going to lie to you, like, it was a, it was a bit of a blur, to be honest. I, if you asked, if someone asked me and said, like, do you remember that? I'd be like, no. Like, there was so much that happened and for me, it went quite quick, but when I eventually found out how long it was, I was like, no way. Like, I can't believe I was out for that long. Um, obviously, it's not easy as well when I was playing the way I was. The best football I've probably ever played in my life. I, felt, I, just, I just felt unstoppable. And at the time, we was, I think we were second in the league when there was one up against them, Cardiff. 
Um, and yeah, I was obviously it hurt me to find out the extent of it and the complexity of it. But as soon as I got over that, it was just all about getting get back playing because like you take it sort of, sort of for granted when you're playing and fit and training every day. But when you actually you're out of it and it's taken away from you, like even you're I couldn't even walk, you know what I mean? So when I was on crutches for three months, it was um, just small gains, really, like getting off the crutches, uh, no brace, being able to squat with weight, being able to get on the, like, the older G, then going outside. It's all small gains that, like, just, I was look, I was always pushing towards. Yeah, just sort of setting yourself, sort of breaking it down into sort of like mini targets. Yeah, so, like, yeah. that's all the mini targets that, I knew were reachable at that point. I mean, obviously the main goal is to get back to football, but in my head, I just had to do small, small gains and small, small targets just to keep myself motivated and keep myself going. Back to Sheffield Wednesday, where you scored that volley late on in the 92nd yeah. minute. Did you feel at that point, obviously the game went to 2-2 in the final moments, did you feel like, there was a chance that you know there's that you could win this despite all the odds being against you. Um, I think when I scored, I was I felt like the crowd got behind us again, and we I felt like yeah. I said if we get a chance here, I said we're gonna score. And obviously we got a corner. Um, like doing doing his usual hard work, creating something out of nothing, and then yeah, Vokes obviously come up with the goods and. Definitely one of the one of the best moments of my career so far. Definitely that the feeling of winning it, yeah, it was nice. Right, and where would you say yeah. specifically is your best position? Um, well, I'm a, I'm, I am a striker. Like, not be a striker. That's my favorite position. That's the position I want to play. But I feel like in my career so far, most success I've had is off the right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've got the. I mean, I can. I enjoy. I enjoy playing on the right. I like taking people on, like creating chances, and a lot. Of, a lot of the fullbacks in the champ. Obviously, when I was playing, they couldn't really deal with me. So that was something I enjoyed, and just enjoyed taking people on and creating chances, really, and scoring goals. But I am a striker at the end of the day. I always will be. Um, so that's my favourite position, but. In my career so far, I'd probably so far, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of like strikers you played with, obviously you played with a few Stephen Fletcher, Sam Vokesley, Gregory, like you mentioned, but it seemed like you had the most instant connection with Stephen Fletcher. Is it something that came across naturally between you two, or is it something that had to be worked on on the training pitch? Um, it was sort of a natural thing. Like, obviously, we did shape and stuff in training and we played together, but obviously. Fletcher's an experienced striker. He's played in the played in the Prem for many years. Played in like France, played for his country. So, as a young striker, I couldn't really ask for a better sort of someone better to come in and help me really and talk to me. And he told me what kind of service he wanted and where he, what he wanted me to do. And I sort of just worked off him really. And yeah, we we had a good the partnership. Yeah, how important is pre-season to a player and like how difficult is it compared to last year with obviously how it has been? Um, yeah, well, 
I, I, last season, I thought I'd be like, because I was in early, I was in before the lads, obviously. I wasn't fully like back training yet, so I was still with the physios and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, I've got a head start. Like, I'm running before they are and stuff, I'm back in. Um, but it's completely different running on your own to running with the lads and training with the lads and being on the ball to like all that stuff. So last season was hard for me because I came in when they'd stopped the running and it was just a lot of football stuff. So I had to sort of catch up on that. Um, whereas this season, I've been obviously done every session from the day we were back in and like I can feel the, the difference already. Like I feel... Yeah, well, it's the main thing that you're feeling the difference. Obviously, it's Cover. completely different when you've been out. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, I've just come back from ten months knee injury, so yeah, I was I wasn't expecting to just be the player I was straight away. I think one of, that was one of one of the hardest things to get my head around, being like, what's got like, what's going on? Like, why why aren't I, I just automatically back how I was? And then obviously. Physio said, "Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna get to that level straight away. You've been out for ten months. You missed a lot of football. You've basically like had a big like injury. You've got like you've had surgery. You've got like I've had I had an anchor in my knee, obviously. So, so that was sort of stuff that I had to get my head round. And once I had my head round that, I was like, okay, I understand it more. And it was just a matter for me. The biggest thing." I took from last season, obviously I scored a few goals, but obviously I wasn't at my best. It was just getting through the season with the knee not really being an issue. And thank, like, thankfully it wasn't. And that's credit to the physios. I mean, the sports science team, but people that I worked with out of, away from the club as well. Like, can't thank him enough for just getting me back to, like, we're having no issues with it. Obviously, first few weeks, it felt a bit different something I had to get used to but yeah I mean I can't thank him enough for it yeah well I, obviously I had like, regular meetings with the manager and sports scientists and stuff and like they said like the sports science um, I mean sports science guy had the sports science he said like see he's been at previous clubs he's dealt with players that have had that sort of injury and he was like don't like the, the, season, the following season I come back that's when you'll see the best of me after the obviously post-injury so like as I said I was happy that I just I was fit and I was around the team and obviously would have liked to play more than I did but I was just grateful to be back and be fit and not have them issues you know what I mean and constantly be missing games and having to miss training sessions and stuff like that like, I didn't I don't think I missed one training session to be honest um yeah obviously as soon as it happened and I heard about it um, I rang him straight away, texted him. I said, like, you're right. Obviously, he'd not, he'd not had the scan yet, but I just said, let me know. And I said, see, when I found out and he told me, I was just like, listen, all the lads will be here for you. And, you know, I've been, I've literally just come come away from this sort of thing. So I said, like, make sure you just mentally is the main thing because it, it does take a toll eventually. Like, you might not notice it now, but, like, couple months down the line you'll be like yeah this is it's affecting me so I said like you just got to do stuff at your at your own pace and if you're not happy about something say it I said if you hold it in it'll just be worse 
So I just said, I'm here for you if you need any advice. Like, I'm here and stuff. And he's come to me, of course. Like, we're, we're good mates. Like, I'm, there's not many. He's probably one of my, he's one of my best mates at the club. So me and him talk a lot. And I, when I was injured, I needed him. And obviously, when he's been injured, I've, I've been there for him. So anything he's needed, I've tried to do to the best of my ability. The end of the main questions, really, Ty, in that respect. But I, I wanted to, if you don't mind, um, have a little bit more fun. So I'm going to put my Gary Neville hat on uh, in, okay. for a minute, if you don't mind. Now, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Depends what you think about Gary Neville. But uh, either way, uh, you know, we've seen Neville run through uh, 50 quick fire questions. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do the 50 quick fire questions. You've got better things to do. But um, <laughs> I've got around 20 questions I wanted to kind of run through. Uh, you know, I'll give you a bit more leeway than he does. You're allowed to elaborate on any questions if you wish. But um, are you up for having a, a quick, quick fire? Yeah, yeah. Of yeah, course. Brilliant. Okay, cool. So, uh, pre-match ritual. Don't have one. Okay, go to cheat meal. And those. Favorite holiday destination? Abu Dhabi. Your go-to karaoke song? Uh, Luther Vandross. Never too much. Oh, nice. When was the last time you sang that at karaoke? Um, at karaoke oh, a while ago. But I sang it in my car the other day. <laughs> nope, no one was there. No, no, no problems. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, okay, best striker played with? Fletcher. Toughest defender faced? Van Dyke. Your best performance? Brentford at home. The 3 2 game. Uh, best atmosphere you've played in, if you can particularly think of one, one game? Um, that Sheffield Wednesday game at home. Yeah, fair play on that one. I think that was amazing atmosphere. Okay, favourite goal for Stoke. We might have already kind of half answered this one, but favourite goal for Stoke. Yeah, the one against Huddersfield. Yeah, the first one. <laughs> uh, favourite away ground. Uh, away ground. Favourite away ground. Yeah. Um, the Leicester Stadium. Nice, lovely. We've got to ask you this one. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Biggest joker in the team? Um, Joe Bersic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, worst dress sense? Uh, ooh. There's too many, Blondie. isn't there? <laughs> Blondie. Perfect. Everyone says Blondie, I've noticed. Um, yeah. First, <laughs> first player to turn up for training? Brownie. Last player to turn up for training? Um, <laughs> probably me. <laughs> <laughs> this must be a, a very long, fine list uh, in that case. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Now, to be fair, we've been much better this year. <laughs> good, good. Uh, who's the person who's always on his phone? Mm, always on their phone? Let me go out. Let me just think about this. Cool. Who controls the pre-match music? Bakes. Is it? Has he got good taste or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoy his music. It's good. Good answer. <laughs> yeah, having words with you on that one tomorrow. If that's not the case. Um, yeah. <laughs> who would you say is the father of the group? Um, 
Father the crew. Ooh. Um obviously there was a lot of like the see more senior players that left this year. So now it's probably um probably Frank. Frank, nice, okay. Who's the club prankster? Or oh, have you not quite got one yet because of a lot of changes? Uh probably me. Oh, okay. Uh, any any interesting yeah. pranks you want to divulge? Mm, no, I can't. <laughs> right, lovely. Um, and final one, uh, FIFA or Pro Evo? Wow, FIFA, of course. <laughs> Pro, <laughs> Pro Evo was good, but the, but the, but the, what do you call it, the um, quality of it was, is nothing on FIFA, but FIFA's a bit rigged this year, so. Yeah, I've heard about all the scripting going on. Um, some pretty yeah. embarrassing scripting as well. So you've seen that yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. Many. I'm one. I'm one of the best there is at FIFA, but there is scripting. Ah, trust me, mate. You 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 get right. <laughs> Well, that ends part one of this uh, recap of the past two years. And uh, we'll just let you go out on a little uh, disc that we put together for the 100th podcast just a couple of months ago. Hi there, you Potters predictors. I'm very pleased, actually, to welcome a new guest to the pod, um, Anthony Hall. Welcome, Ant. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. But joining me is Stoke City Southern supporters guru, Laurie. How are you, mate? You're too kind. Too <laughs> kind, Dan. Okay, so I'm very pleased to welcome uh, Stoke City's number 10, Tyrese Campbell. Uh, Ty, welcome to the Every Step Along the Way podcast. How's things been, mate? You been okay? Oh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And yeah, yeah, everything's going good. Good. Okay, and I couldn't think of anyone better to give us the lowdown on being an agent than uh, a good friend, uh, Gary Mallet of Beswick Sports. Um, Gary, how are you, mate? You okay? I'm good, thank you. How are you? The man who pulled on that red and white stripe shirt more than any other. Eric Skills, how are you? Fine. Looking forward to going to match this afternoon. Yeah, Andy's not with us tonight, uh, but we've had we've had an upgrade, so it's all right. Uh, we've been joined by uh, Brendan. Uh, so, Brendan, welcome to the pod, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome to the podcast, Carl Dickinson. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. My mic for this section, as we spoke to regular contributor to the pod, Rory Thomas, chairwoman of the Supporters Council and Radio Stoke commentator, Angela Smith, and an ambassador for Here Game 2, Charlotte Cromarty. Yeah, so we have the privilege today of being joined by Lou Roberts from the Stoke City Women's Setup. Hello, Lou. Hi guys, you alright? Sophie, you are the one behind the hashtag Super Sophie, the Super Stokey I hear. Can... Man flu, also known as COVID uh, still. Uh, we did refer to it last week, um, but um, I must admit we've got more than a, an adequate uh, replacement. And uh, it's Ben from the YYY Files. Uh, ben, thank you so much for joining me, mate. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, a long-term listener, absolutely. Uh, Mr Jonathan Oldfield, how are you, mate? Uh, I'm good, Ben. Uh, Liam Bullock, so the author of Twinned uh, with Reykjavik and the Icelandic Years. Uh, Liam, welcome to the podcast, mate. You are first guest. How's things? You all right? Oh, great. I am glad to be your first guest. Andy Blinston, welcome to the pod, mate. Hello there, mate. Pleasure to be here. So, welcome to Every Step Along the Way, Kieran Maguire. Thank you very much, boys. Uh... I, I like an oat cake, so look at this. This should be good fun. So, welcome to Every Step Along the Way, Simon Lowe. 
Hello. How- you could say, we'll be with you every step along the way. So- A couple of duddheads like me and you can understand the complications of, <laughs> of FFP on the end of this. Uh, yeah, we'll think- do on the promotion pod. <laughs> That's the one. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Book it in for May. Or might be June or July of this race, but we'll be getting for it's five, in five years' time. We're still playing out this season. <laughs> Nick Powell's still injured. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Two weeks uh, away. Mario Vrancic, clearly a lust. Andy? Heavy lust. <laughs> you got a bit of a, a, a love for him, A okay, little bit lovely. of a man crush. <laughs> ben? Booga. <laughs> <laughs> Liam? Yowza. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Go on, Dad. My heart, my heart's aching for Mario. And uh, we've just spent the last five hours, was it, Dan, coming back from Accrington? An hour and a half journey. Like just hours. yeah. We, um, do you want to tell everyone what happened in a very short? I mean, that, uh, well, basically, Andy's recorded some uh, well audio and video content uh, content for it, and um, we were literally ribs hurting, almost crying in the fact that we ended up at Manchester Airport. So, would you like to fill everybody in <laughs> as to why you took three hours to do a one and a half, half hour journey? <laughs> Uh, roadworks and uh, <laughs> we we totally ignored the multiple warnings on the motorway uh, for the fact that the road that we needed to get home was actually closed and so we, we obviously the royal we because it wasn't just me driving it was we <laughs> uh, totally ignored them carried on going until so we got to the point where we had to get off the motorway because it was closed and it just diverted us into the airport Ooh, good man one, I'm one of the best there is at FIFA, but um, oh, there is scripting. Ah, but trust me, mate, you you, you get that. <laughs> um, Mark Wilson, he's already I'm oh, okay. oh, yeah. sorry, okay. You need this one, boys. All right. <laughs> Getting competitive <laughs> up in this grill. I'm trying um, to think. Um, we went down to the front. I got a couple of bags of candy floss, a can, and some soft rock, about four pieces of it. It comes to like nine quid, robbing <laughs> swines. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you got, I think, was it five bars of rock and it cost you a tenner? What's happened, Dan? Um, another one I don't want to say. Kevin Vimmer. <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> He just missed out of being on here. No, no, pull him back down. This is Matt from the Huddersfield Town podcast, and he takes that chance. I'm currently at Blackpool Zoo, uh, where I suppose the uh, the defensive organisation of uh, some of the apes here would be a lot better than Huddersfield Town at the minute. And a team we played during our time in the Premier League. Arsenal. Arsenal's <laughs> <laughs> had a new manager bounce, except for ourselves and funnily enough Southampton I guess where the bounce has been about as flat as a plate of piss really <laughs> if you want me to put it in football terms for you Mike it's 10-0 to Hamilton the referee <laughs> said in the last minute next person scores wins Verstappen scores a goal wins the whole thing and Hamilton's yeah. had four men sent off yeah <laughs> wow that bad Jesus okay. and if that doesn't explain it for you it's a bit like the whole of the United Kingdom being put in lockdown and the Prime Minister having a party in his own backyard <laughs> oh wait <laughs> Jesus if you thought the Euros was bad <laughs> evening Prime Minister <laughs> <laughs> oh I love it cheers uh, for now <laughs> um 
And on that note, I think that's a good that's a good place to end. You should make that as well, you Boris. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy your party. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.